There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Today, we are speaking with Camille Lee, CEO at Activate, formerly known as Bloglovin. Activate offers both full-service influencer marketing services as well as access to a self-serve technology platform to cover the full span of a brand's influencer marketing needs. Appointed to the top spot of CEO in April of this year, Camille brings with her an MBA from Columbia Business School and 10 years of experience in influencer marketing, social media, digital media, and also a really interesting background in venture capital and investment banking, which I personally find fascinating. She's held roles at Rent the Runway, Refinery29, and Ralph Lauren. She's so passionate about the potential of influencer marketing space and has been quoted on the topic in top publications like WWD, Business Insider, and more. Welcome, Camille. Thank you so much for having me, Jesse. Yeah, absolutely. I was so excited to get you in here today. So thank you for coming. Um, so first and foremost, congrats on being named CEO at Activate. That's really huge. Yeah, I, I always find it really fascinating to learn how people end up working in this industry in the first place and then to work your way up to a role like CEO. That's pretty incredible and doesn't happen every day. So um, you took a very unique path. And I personally love your story because I think that it is really unique. So tell everyone listening about your background and your path to influencer marketing and to how you got to where you are today. Sure. Thank you. Um, and thank you for that fantastic introduction. Um, you know, I think that um, when certainly when I talk to folks about uh, the topic of career paths, I think today more than ever before, um, career paths are so um, so winding, um, and that's how I feel about mine. It certainly didn't feel like it was a a straight line, you know, and um, and you kind of put your next foot forward as things come. Um, you know, I started out in um, in finance, in investment banking. I spent five years in that space, um, really helping companies raise capital as well as looking at acquisition uh, opportunities. And I really worked with companies ranging from consumer brands to um, to industrial companies, um, a lot of different industries, um, and companies in the U.S. and Latin America. And is this what you studied in school? Like, is this what you got an MBA and thinking that, like, this is my path? I'm going to be in, in finance and investment banking. So I did. So I studied um, finance and accounting in undergrad. Okay. Um, and I 
my first job um, out of college was investment banking. And, and so that was essentially what I studied. I would say, you know, um, you learn so much on the job, um, but certainly having the, the finance and accounting degree was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, it really has been um, me trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, it wasn't, you know, and I didn't know anything about influencer marketing at the time. And certainly at the time, I don't think it was coined that um, right. what, or an what, industry at all. Exactly. What year are we talking about here? Yeah. So um, 2007, I started in finance, yeah. um, ended in 2012. Yeah. Um, I was aware of certainly the, at the time, blogging was kind of on the rise, mm-hmm. right, through that mm-hmm. time period. I was mm-hmm. very aware of the different creators that were out there. I was a consumer of that content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was familiar with Bloglovin mm-hmm. um, through that time period as mm-hmm. well. How are you familiar with Bloglovin? As a user, as a okay. consumer. Um, cool. I used, um, well, I read a lot of different fashion blogs mm-hmm. and um, and saw the blog of a name. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I had kind of familiarity with it. Who um, were some of your favorite influencers back then? Yeah. I mean, I distinctly remember when I discovered like Into the Gloss and mm-hmm. Man Repeller mm-hmm. um, and who today are, you know, one of the largest or two of the largest players in the space and who have expanded beyond content to product and mm-hmm. other things. Um, I remember reading a lot of like, you know, like, corporate outfit type blogs, which sure. I don't remember the specific names, but, you know. I hope they're around today. I, You know, they probably are. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's um, it really spoke to, you know, th- you know women in corporate jobs, right, um, that didn't have that many options. I remember it was like Ann Taylor that had some, you know, outfit options. <laughs> and um, today you have companies like M.M. LaFleur that's really speaking to that yeah, audience. Um, but, you know, there was a need for that kind of company. Content and I was not getting it from the traditional magazines. I was not getting it from the traditional media companies. And that's one of the things that I think makes influencers or content creators, whatever you want to call them, so interesting is they are really, really able to speak to a particular audience. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And so – you know, I, I took you off on a tangent because yeah. I'm so fascinated <laughs> by all these things. But you know, so so you you found yourself in finance. Mm-hmm. You were just a natural consumer of mm-hmm. this type of content, as you know, something you would read during your lunch break or yeah. you know after work. And and so, how did that transition happen to work in that space? Yeah. So you know, at the end of my five years, I decided that I didn't want to be in you know in investment banking forever, um, and came to that realization and realized that I wanted to work for um, industries that were emerging and very undefined. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time, um, I remember writing my business school essays about this and um, for my applications and um, and thinking, you know, there seems to be this, you know, digital media was a space like Refinery29 was just popping up. And Mm -hmm. I remember discovering that site and like really engaging with that content mm-hmm. all the time and thinking like I had discovered something that was so like, you know, like no one else knew about. Then I figured out all my friends were also <laughs> reading it. Um, but um, so, you know, essentially digital media and then e-commerce were the two verticals that I specifically in my mind thought, I really want to learn more about these spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to plan my career right. in, in this space. But right. I just found those two areas to be really interesting, um, to be a lot of opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, 
that was what I thought about and those were the types of companies I started talking to um, and those were the companies that I started working with. So, Did you feel like working in investment banking, I'm sure the hours were cr- – like I, yeah. I think of the hours being crazy, <laughs> yeah. like it being like really, really like – like intense work. Yep. Do you feel like there's a bit of a shelf life to that in regards to like a work-life balance and just, you know, the difficulties that you experience having such an intense job? I think um, specific, I mean, so there's a few, you know, I have a lot of friends that are in investment banking or management consulting or corporate law. Those three and stand out in my mind as very, um, certainly from a work-life balance wise and from just pure hours in the office mm-hmm. um, are very intense. Yeah. Um, a, you know, in those industries, you know, the expectation is that a good, you know, a good majority of folks that may start out in that space may not end up staying. Right. Um, and that's a natural thing. I mean, you, you know, you folks that move up, you know, either really love it or they're, you know, care enough about keeping their, you know, staying in that industry that yeah. they're, um, that they kind of tough it out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly for, um, in management consulting and in corporate law, I think that there's probably, like, it's, it's a little bit more supportive than investment banking. Mm-hmm. Um, so even within those three, mm-hmm. I have friends, um, you know, certainly female friends or friends with families, you know, they could be dads or moms mm-hmm. that um, have been able to find more of a balance in those two versus mm-hmm. investment banking. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that um, it, it is it is hard, um, especially if you are in you know if you and your partner are both kind of working that kind of, those hours. Mm-hmm. I think it gets harder as you get older if you're starting a family and things for like sure. That. And so, what when when you made this huge leap and this decision, I guess to transition industries. Mm-hmm. My first question is. Was that scary at all or was it more exciting that you were excited to change? It was really scary. So I would say I probably started thinking about it before I went to business school. Um, All throughout business school, it was like something that was in the back of my mind. Like, am I really doing this? Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when, you know, during school, you're like racking up tuition bills and – and so, yeah, I didn't sleep for uh, like the latter part of my time during business school because it was it was scary. Um, and I, I kind of just kept going through it in my mind until I got to a point where I was like, you know what, this is more important to me and this is my decision and I need to stand by it mm-hmm. and kind of go full force. Like give it a real shot. Yeah. Commit so, to it. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and like know that, you know, I can't have, um, you know, in, in any decision in life, you don't want to have regrets, right? You want to mm-hmm. like, after you fully like thought it through, you make your decision and you need to stand by it. And so once you made that decision and you, you know, started transitioning into a different industry, um, how did you find that work-life balance? How, mm-hmm. What differences did you find between the two industries? Like I think of work-life balance as maybe even being pretty similar in some ways. I right. mean, influencer marketing can be a pretty intense, you know, industry yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, doing deals sometimes in the billions of dollars or saving lives here. So, you know, in what ways would you say that they're different? I was definitely not saving lives as a banker. Um, (laughs) I would say that – so for me personally – the, the biggest difference was I was starting a little bit at square one when mm-hmm. I switched, right? Mm-hmm. While I was able to bring certainly a lot of the skill set and experience from my prior um, – from the prior industry, it 
you know, you are starting fresh in the sense that, like, you know, I didn't know anything about the lingo of the industry. I didn't know anything about um, Google Analytics. I didn't know any, you know, so. How did that feel, like, starting kind of from scratch? Was yeah. it humbling? Did it? It did, is. Was it a growing experience? Like, what was that like it for is. you It is, and you got to focus on learning, essentially, and it yeah. kind of re, re positions you again. I do think going through stuff like that every so often, like A, it forces you to really be learning mm-hmm. um, and really be asking questions. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, and you see this with a lot of companies that may burst onto the scene in an industry that, you know, I think of like Warby Parker, right? Um, I don't think anyone in that founder team had come from the eyeglass industry or certainly had not, you know, you know, is not, you know, very embedded in that like space where Luxottica was, you know, owned the entire market essentially. Um, but if you're thrown into a situation where you really don't know anything, then you're you're kind of um, you are pushed to really ask questions, really question why things are done a certain way, um, and kind of develop and go from there. Yeah. Um, so you know the adjustment for me personally was a lot of that, um, and then the difference. You know, I think the cultures are very very different. Um, Banking is much more hierarchical, um, much more male, I would say, you know, in digital media and and in commerce. It was, um, you know, more balanced or even more heavily female. I mean, Activate today, we are 66% female as a company. So um, so that would be, you know, a difference um, as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say the other difference is um, in banking, everyone kind of goes through the same training. So you start at the same time right after college. You go through the similar training. You work on similar types of deals. And you're all kind of speaking the same lingo. Um, moving into a technology company, I realized that, you know, you had folks that are engineers, you have folks that are designers, you have creatives, you have um, folks with operations backgrounds, very different um, very different experiences, very different lingo, quite, uh, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that also creates, um, you know, very different, um, I guess, work um, working relationships. So, um, you know, the, the way folks work or the way timelines work or the way, you know, you're not, you haven't all gone through that same exact training experience. Um, so that is a, both a challenge and an opportunity. Um, I think, you know, challenging meaning, you know, some, it's, it's certainly so much easier if you jump into a project with someone where everyone like kind of is thinking the same way you are, right? And you can just move really fast that sure, way. Everyone speaks the same language. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, having a diversity of backgrounds and, and perspectives, you're really able to create something different and unique. So, um, and, and challenge each other a little bit uh, around that. that. So, um, but it's, it's harder as, sure. you know, as, as someone that's part of that group. So, um, that's something that, that I definitely saw as a, as a difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how do you think that, you know, again, like every, I always say no one's parents said to them, you know, you can grow up and work at Instagram someday (laughs) or YouTube or influencer marketing. You know, there's not even a degree in this. I Mm -hmm. think that that's actually closer to becoming a reality Mm. um, than not. But but currently, I don't think there is a degree in this. So, (laughs) you know, everyone comes from a different path. But I'm such a firm believer that regardless of your path, it absolutely informs how you ended up here today yeah. and gave you transferable skills. So what would you say is your background that's really served you to where you are today? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the certainly the experience in banking was great because it was really robust training. So um, really be, like really basic stuff, whether it's being able to pull together a very quick 
quick and dirty, you know, financial model around something to make sure like if you're going to do something or go after something, this all makes sense and the numbers make sense. There's also, um, you know, the, the basics of being able to pull together a quick uh, deck that, you know, that, that you're able to communicate your ideas and communicate. Hey, kiddo, how was the hill? Did you learn anything? Yeah, that ripping pow induces spontaneous joy. The Icon Pass lets you do you at 50 destinations worldwide from 249 Adult. Drop in for next winter now and save at IconPass.com. Kate, you know, whether it's to a client or to an investor um, or to your team, all of, you know, being able to communicate effectively is really important. And it's easier said than done. Um, like, how do you distill information into a couple of slides that really gets your point across um, and making sure that you're thinking about your audience and who you're talking to? Um, so those are definitely um, skill sets that I brought over uh, from my prior experiences. I think just kind of like you know, understanding like timelines and, you know, um, organizational stuff, like all of that stuff, I think is, is so important in any company or any environment you're in because, um, being able to manage something from beginning to end, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. and, and all the, the tasks and issues that come up and mm -hmm. being able to kind of, um, fly a little bit by, by the seat of your pants, but be able to plan appropriately in some cases. Sure. So those are the things that I think um, is helpful. I don't think you just get it from, you know, from a banking uh, experience. You can get that from a lot of different experiences. Certainly, you know, I know I have friends that came from the legal background, right, and then have moved over to um, a digital media space or um, and being able to do contracts, right? Like that's pretty important, being able to like <laughs> those things that seem so, you know, I, I don't know. I think some people kind of view them as like boring things, right? But they're necessary. They're though. necessary. Yep. And um, and if you can do them better, more efficiently, you know, that becomes a um, an asset and mm -hmm. you can really focus your, your energies on uh, other pieces of, of a deal. I mean, I think it's such an interesting industry. And, you know, it's interesting because like at, at, in WIM, for example, you know, we have like over right now over like 1,200 different members all over the world. And it's interesting how, you know, wherever people come from, they all come from different backgrounds. There's like this like-mindedness with all of them. And I find that really fascinating. And I think that our industry is so unique though, because I do think that it like beautifully combines creativity, but mm -hmm. also you have to have a business savvy to you. Yeah. You know, you have to be business minded. Um, and those are completely different sides of your brain. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. And I, I do feel like that's a reason that I personally gravitated towards this industry. What about you? Um, you know, again, I think I saw, you know, when I learned more and more about the space, um, I saw that there was so much kind of opaqueness or undefined areas of the space. Mm -hmm. um, like, we still don't know how big this industry could be, right? Mm -hmm. And I know there's some metrics around, um, you know, estimates around that. But the way things are evolving and changing and, you know, even different social platforms, new influencers coming onto the scene, how brands are buying into this, right? Um, there's a lot yet to be undefined. And to me, that was always interesting Absolutely. Um, because that means there's an opportunity for yeah. someone to come in mm -hmm. um, and help make sense of things. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one. I mean, the other piece is honestly, it was like, I kind of got pulled into it. Uh, it <laughs> wasn't so? really, it wasn't really like, I was like, I'm going to do influencer marketing, yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah. When I didn't know what it was. Sure. Um, I joined Bloglovin. Yeah. Um, I joined Bloglovin as initially to help with kind of getting them 
set up on the business side. Mm-hmm. So they had grown this huge platform, you know, half a million bloggers globally on the platform registered. Um, we had a sense of the content creators that were on the rise, the content that was really resonating well. Um, and it was all kind of it grew via word of mouth, essentially. Mm-hmm. So Blog Lovin as a platform um, was, you know, back in the day, I think, um, really where the, you know, the, the, st- the influencers started, right? Like, um, I, I remember like Kiara Faragni from Blonde Salad, certainly Leandra Medine from Man Repeller, um, all leveraging the platform to kind of grow their exposure for their sites, mm-hmm. right? And then from there, you know, obviously we have all these different social platforms that have emerged. Um, but when I joined the company, it was really just helping them get set up from a business standpoint, help them start thinking about monetization. They had, they were pre-revenue at the time. Um, and, you know, we didn't think we were operating in the influencer space. We just thought we had a platform of a bunch of bloggers. We had a lot of content. We mm-hmm. And we thought, oh, this is like a, you know, we're a new media type company, right? Mm-hmm. We can sell, you know, we can sell native ads on this platform. And that was the initial mm-hmm. piece. Um, the influencer marketing part, really, like, you know, connecting brands to influencers came organically from the brands. We sat in a lot of meetings with, you know, folks at like, um, you know, like a Madewell or a coach, you know, different brands where they would say, we actually use, you know, the social media person in the room would say, we actually use Blog Love and Define Bloggers. Um, could you connect us to some of these people? Maybe they can create content and those would be the ads that we run on your platform. Um, and so we just started doing it because people were asking for it. And um, we were doing it for free initially. We were just like, here's Lucky our like, them. little list, right? <laughs> but it was all manual. We weren't, it yeah. wasn't like a, you know, it was just like, it was for us like a way to continue the conversation with brands and sell native media on blog level. Sure, and build your relationships with yeah. these people, for sure. Um, and then we realized, you know, that this became really a consistent thing that people wanted. And we were like, well, we need a more systematic way of doing this. Mm -hmm. We need like, we need to understand, you know, like what makes this creator uh, more relevant for this brand versus another one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and is it content? Is it audience data? Is it, you know, is it the fact that they're certainly on the rise um, or they're particularly strong on this social channel where the brand has certain goals around, right? So all of those things became part of the conversation around, okay, well, well if we were to build some technology platform to enable these connections, what would be part of that platform? Um, And that's really where, you know, kind of Activate came into being. um, And that's really still how we think about um, the business today. But I love that. Like, I love that so much. I mean, again, like, I don't want to project anything on you, but I I know (laughs) that I'm so excited about this industry just because it's it's changing so much. And it's such an opportunity to use your words to just react to things as they're changing. Yeah. You know, it's exciting. It is. I mean, you know, I feel like every other week there's some new piece of news, right? Whether it's like the FTC coming in and saying, well, we need to really start looking at disclosure or, you know, you know, certainly Instagram TV having been launched about like a month ago Mm -hmm. um, and influencers are already testing that as a channel, right? Mm -hmm. And like, what does that mean for the industry? And what does that mean vis-a-vis other video kind of platforms out there? So um, it's ever-changing. I think um, it's also certainly growing Mm -hmm. and it's a highly competitive space as well. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Keeps you on your toes for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, So um, going back to, you know, let's talk about you being a woman in a position of power now, you know, it's like you're managing how many people are, are underneath you? 22. 22. Um, what challenges have you faced and 
mostly what keeps you motivated and healthy? Yeah. Oh, those are those are tough questions. I don't know if it's necessarily specific to being a woman in this role. I think there's so many challenges in this role, no matter uh, whether you are male or female. Um, you know, I, I think some of the challenges are, you know, making sure that um, there's proper communication um, and, in line, and alignment within teams and different individuals so that, like, we're all on the same page, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when we're operating in a space that's changing so quickly, um, those priorities and those, you know, what, quote, unquote, what page we're on, that changes very quickly as well. Mm-hmm. And making sure that people, it still feels consistent in a mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. but knowing that we need to kind of roll with the punches. Mm -hmm. Um, So that probably is one of the biggest, um, you know, challenges. I think um, inspiring, you know, and, 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 you know, quote unquote, leading a team is really like, how how do you ensure that the people that you're working with or working with you um, truly kind of believe what, you know, what we're all trying to do here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and inspiring that and, and, and getting them to really think about, their particular roles as part of this and how to expand that and how to be creative there. Um, you know, I, ideally, um, and this is always a challenge is like, you know, you, as a, as a leader, you, you may have a POV around, okay, well, this is what, you know, um, this might be a great way to do something, or this might be a, a um, what the end result should look like. Right. But I do think kind of um, allowing some trust to the team to really define that is really important because in many situations where, you know, maybe we talk high level around what this, you know, project may look like, um, it ends up coming out much different and much bigger than I initially dreamed of. And in those situations is where I feel there's real magic happening. Um, A really good example is, you know, certainly – um, working with our product and technology team. I, you know, I don't come in from an engineering background. Um, and to some extent, um, I've been kind of consistently um, surprised by some of the, the thought and the innovation that have been put into the platform where, you know, we don't define up front what those things are, but this is what we're trying to do, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is high level what we're trying to do and what are all the different things that we can incorporate and make sure that we're talking to customers, we're talking to influencers to make sure we're building the right things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's always great to be able to then, you know, when something launches, like, oh, wow, that was cool. <laughs> we didn't talk about this in the initial meeting, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and those are the, I think those, that's like a, a quote unquote challenge is like, being able to foster that mm-hmm. um, is important. Um, that they'll like take it and run with it. Yeah. And own it. And encourage, you know, and be able to encourage that. And, yeah. and always like making sure there's a fine line around like being able to encourage that, that right balance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously you want to be able to provide input and be able to shape, you know, some of it. But um, having the right balance around like too much input mm-hmm. versus like I, I find that to be one of the more challenging things. Sure. Um, what was your second question? So my second question was what keeps – you know, I just – I feel like it's a – like let's be real. Like I'm sure it's a stressful job to yeah. be managing 22 people. It's a lot of people. It's a yeah. lot of responsibility. It's a lot of people looking to you for answers and to expect you to know what the right ones are. Mm. So in all of that – and, you know, we live in New York City, which is yeah. already a little anxiety-inducing. So yeah. <laughs> like in, in all of that combined – what keeps you personally, you know, really motivated mm. and and healthy throughout it all? 
So things that motivate me, one is, you know, just that, seeing um, seeing things come to fruition, um, you know, led by the team that really, I think, goes above and beyond what we initially thought it should be. So mm-hmm. that truly motivates me when I see other folks that are also motivated. Mm-hmm. So that's like a, a little bit of a circuitous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that motivate me, certainly as we put more pieces together around what's happening in this space, what's going on from a brand's perspective or an influencer's perspective. Like if we know that that's something that we're building right now that we're going to launch in September or October, we're getting more and more validation from the market. You know, we try to tease some of these things out to, to certain partners and mm-hmm. getting that validation is hugely motivating for me, knowing that we're on the right path. Sure. Knowing that, you know, I mean, in everything that you do as an organization, there's so many, so many um, considerations and decisions made along the way. So knowing that we're at least making like 75% of the decisions right mm-hmm. um, is very motivating to me. Mm-hmm. My fear is that, you know, we're not making enough of the right decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure that, you know, we are validating and we are, you know, pulling um, feedback and and hopefully we're listening harder than others out there. Um, mm-hmm. To me, that in a space that is so um, – that is so changing that um, that it's important that we that we do that. Other motivating factors, um, you know, of course, you know, as as a small company, um, anytime we win a deal, you know, anytime or before we even win the deal, like the fact that we're you know going in and having you know active conversations with certain corporate brands and that we did not have conversations before, that is hugely motivating mm-hmm. to me. Um, you know, brands that maybe hadn't talked to us in the past and now they're like really actively wanting to chat with us, you know, like those things, um, hugely motivating. Um, Hearing from the influencers, you know, I come across like blog posts from different creators that actually talk about the different platforms that they work with um, and getting really positive responses from creators about their, you know, their interactions with the Activate team as Mm -hmm. well as the platform, hugely motivating. Um, So all of those things, I would say, um, motivate. um, But, you know, of course, um, I'm sure, you know, you um, you see this as well, um, you know, from week to week, it can be highs and lows, right? Absolutely. It's not always highs. So, well, it's uh, so funny because <laughs> as soon as you said, you know, 75% of the decisions that we're making, like, we feel like those are good. And like, that's an incredible number. I think that like, whether you're a business owner, a CEO, a VP, whatever your role is, and you're in charge of a ship, a huge ship, the realities are that, you know, it's like it's like baseball. If you're batting 33%, you're doing really well. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, right. and it's a lot of opportunities to, to learn. And we're fortunate that, you know, this ship can pivot mm-hmm. a bit, you mm-hmm. know, so that y- your success rate, I think, can increase. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are absolutely going to be mistakes, mm-hmm. missteps. You know, you you trust your gut and maybe your gut was just wrong or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you made a decision and all of a sudden a new thing rolled out that just, you know, uh, made that decision obsolete for right. whatever reason. Right. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about the realities of, of that and, you know, how, how you keep yourself motivated mm-hmm. when the realities are that, you know, there are going to be things that are not successful mm-hmm. and there are going to be things that, um, that could absolutely be improved. That's yeah. for sure. So talk to me a little bit about motivation there. Yeah. I would say, um, 
you know, from certainly from a, you know, brand partnerships or sales perspective, looking overall, like understanding that um, your win rate is not going to be 100%. It's never, no one wins 100% of the time. Um, And understanding where we are today and then seeing, are we making incremental progress, Mm -hmm. right? So that's, that's something. And then like, what are all the things that we can do to increase that win rate, whether it is, you know, um, better ideas, better collateral, you know, more proactive, um, giving more to the client or giving more to, you know, so all of those things, um, it's like seeing progress, I think is so much more important than just saying, well, we won X, Mm -hmm. um, and using that as your motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, um, the, the other piece of it is really, you know, if we're focused on kind of, okay, this is what we want long-term to be, and this is where we're moving towards knowing that along the way there's going to be obstacles, Mm -hmm. um, and there's going to be, you know, things that go awry or things that do not go as planned. Right. Um, but that's okay as long as you, again, you feel like you're making incremental progress towards mm-hmm. that end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I so, think that, but I think that, and sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. I, I do think you're onto something there. It's really looking so far into the future so that the little nuances of the day to day that, you know, do go awry and mm-hmm. things like that. And, you know, you don't get um, distracted, yeah. you know, by those because you have such a long term goal. Yep. And if you're, generally heading in that direction, that's progress. Yeah. And placing these things into context, right? Mm -hmm. So like something that may seem like a really big deal today, um, again, if you're thinking about it, like as this is your path and this is your long-term goal, um, it may not in the grand scheme of things not be that big of a deal. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, I, I forget what book or quote or something that I read this in, um, and this really pertains more to life versus um, just pure, you know, business or company, Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, um, from day to day, you know, we, of course, you know, whether it's our career or personal lives or whatever, there may be things that come up that really ruins your day that day, right? You're like, this is, this is is awful. Like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. You know, whatever it is, whatever that may be. Um, But the, the thing that I read was like, think about it, like, like you are your 65-year-old self. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what's happening today mm-hmm. as your 65-year-old self, mm-hmm. how much does that matter? So mm-hmm. like, you know, and it could be like, I don't know, your dishwasher overflowed. You yeah. know, like it could be anything, <laughs> right? Or yeah. – and like how do you – and is this a really a big problem or is this something that's just kind of like, all right, we're going to move on and get on with it, right? So sure. um, so th- I, I, that's another twist of thinking about it. Like mm-hmm. how do you um, – how do you really evaluate whether this is a real problem or not? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and then how how are you personally staying healthy throughout, you know, this? Like are there any – like do you meditate? Do you go to yoga? Do you yeah. eat right? You yeah. know, what do you find that works well for you? And I would say both as a, a CEO, as a New Yorker, yeah. you know, there's a lot of, of you know, uh, obstacles. And how do you It's hard. It? It's something that I'm actively like – thinking about um, and trying to be and trying to be better about. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't profess to be like, you know, an expert around this. Yeah, certainly not. Um, I would say, you know, meditation is something that I've done um, over the last, I would say, three or four years. Mm -hmm. Um, Not consistently, but but something that, you know, um, at least a few times a week mm-hmm. I try to do that's huge um and try to practice it it is something that that needs to be practiced um so you know anyone that's jumping into meditation it's like the first 
I don't know, 100 times that you do it, you're probably like, I'm not good at this because I can't seem to focus, right? right. Um, so, and it's great. There's so many like meditation apps out there now that you kind of do self-guided stuff or you can go certainly to classes. Um, mm-hmm. Going to a real class does make a difference, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the other thing that I try to do is really, really stay away from my phone um, during certain times. So maybe it's after a certain hour during the week. Um, maybe it's for one day during the weekend, you know. Um, so setting some real boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And like the iPad that we have at home, um, I don't connect it to any like work-related stuff so yep. that it's really just for like browsing, whatever, you yep. know. Um, that. So that's something that um, – We've done. You know, one thing that I heard from someone, I think it was a podcast that I was listening to, and they were like, I sign myself out of my social media platforms, uh, um, maybe on the weekends or whenever yeah. you're really truly trying to check out. Yeah. Because I feel like it's so mindless sometimes. Yeah. You just like turn on your phone, you flip yeah. to Instagram, and you're all automatically in. Yeah. And so if you're signed out, you're logged out, it has to be like a conscious decision to like yeah. put in your login, put yeah. in your password, sign in. And if yeah. that's your choice, go for it. Yeah. But if if not, like at least you have to make a mindful choice to do it. Yeah. Yes. I find that. I found that really. I was like, oh, I like that. I like that. I mean, my husband has deleted all the apps yeah. other than Instagram, I think. It's yeah. the only one that he's kept. Yeah. Um, for on the iPad, we don't have any social apps on there. Yeah. Um, my personal phone, I find myself checking Twitter a lot. And it's like, I don't even know if I'm getting anything like relevant from it. But I just, for whatever reason, it's become like the app that I check the most. Um, and so my question about that is like, I, I try to do that too. Yeah. And I like I get really hard on myself sometimes. You know, I'm like, you can't really unplug. Like this is your job. Like you you know, like how do like are you really able to completely disconnect or are there some other thoughts floating around in there when you when you do? It depends on the week and it depends on, you know, if there's something going on that week where I'm like, you know, I really can't unplug, mm-hmm. then um and this is something that they kind of I guess they kind of teach you with meditation as well as like if you really can't do it, then lean into it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, then get and make your list or like whatever it is that you need to do to get your mind like mm-hmm. a little bit more calm. Yeah. Um, so that you're not just trying to like push it away and it keeps coming back. Yeah. Um, but in some cases I am able to. Um, you know, it just it really depends on the week, honestly. For sure. Um, and when I go on vacation, I think it takes like a few days before I can really disconnect usually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean that's it's it's hard. I think especially because we're, you know, Slack and social media and all these different you know, emails and like it's very easy to stay connected. Yeah, our yeah. phones are going to be like embedded in our hands, <laughs> <laughs> which is scary. Um, and so you know, from I think it's also, I think it's a it's a kind of like practice what you preach thing too, to be honest. And I feel like. You know, with all the responsibilities that we do have, I feel like that might actually be one of the most important because it's really like teaching um, people underneath you what is healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I describe this business occasionally will be, you know, manic at times. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be a high volume business and there's so much going on, so many different time zones people are doing business. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, as someone who manages, you know, 20 plus people, um, do you encourage your, you know, the people that you, that work for you to, you know, do anything that's particularly healthy and, um, and what does that look like? Certainly for um, like holidays and vacations, we really try to plan around it so that um, 
get ahead of it essentially so that when someone is going on vacation, hopefully they can really disconnect. Mm-hmm. So that's something that um, we kind of take active conversation around and hopefully we can be better. I definitely do not profess to be, um, you know, again, a guru when it comes to this. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, other things. I mean, you know, our, um, we don't have, you know, a concept of like FaceTime in the office or anything like that. Certainly if something urgent comes up, people are expected to be, you know, accessible and ready. But um, generally speaking, you know, people are not pulling like crazy hours and, you know, um, you know, but it varies between between, you know, if we're doing a big product push, you know, the tech team may be like really, 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 you know, pushing it uh, that week. Or if there's like a huge activation for um, uh, for an influencer program, um, there certainly will be, you know, more there. But making sure that we do have kind of like ebbs and flows mm-hmm. um, is important so that people do have time to kind of like recuperate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we are, you know, as a company, we are fairly flexible around things like work from home and, um, you know, because things in life come up, right? Whether it's like, and, you know, we know that, you know, anytime anything breaks or anything, you know, appliance, you know, I'm thinking of like appliances, but like anything that happens, like most uh, other companies are those companies that service those things are like nine to five, right? And so like, when else are you supposed to deal with these things? Right. So, um, so those are some of the things that we've done to kind of make it a little bit more, um, you know, uh, I guess, manageable. Yeah. 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 No, I love that. I always like having these conversations because like you, I feel like there's room for us to, at Bold Streak to improve in these things. I've heard um, a company that um, provides all of their employees um, therapy on a oh. weekly basis. Wow. I was like, whoa, that's something <laughs> to aspire to. Like, yeah. you know, our office, it's very fortunate. We work in this wonderful co-working space yeah. where they offer people um, all day long, just during business hours, meditation, yoga, Pilates oh, classes. Wow. That's awesome. Um, but again, like, and yes, and we chose it very intentionally. But again, I think it's so important to really truly um, inspire from the top down. Yeah. And so while I'm like, yeah, yeah, go take your class. Like I have to make time to take it to, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and finding that time is tough, but just kind of, you know, looking to the big picture and how important it is for both me, I think for connection of yeah. my employees, I yeah. think to, you know, really create this, this work environment and like the DNA of your company as being very, you know, work-life balance, um, the bigger picture goals are so important and I think it's 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 so important to focus on those when the day-to-day can get a little crazy. Yeah, it's I mean it's hard because I think um if you are you know um if you are leading a team in many cases you are the person that you know if something goes wrong or if um there's gaps in terms of what needs to be done like you're mm-hmm. you're the kind of you are supposed to be the, the first line of defense to kind of jump in and, and help and for and, sure and you know work things out mm-hmm. and so um i do think it's it's extremely hard to strike that balance and it's something that i i definitely um am consistently thinking about but i love that like i love your answers to so many of my questions which is like i'm not necessarily there yet but that's my goal and yeah. like i'm constantly working on it right and you're just being mindful of it you know i think that's just so real and i think that's very admirable yeah i mean you know it's nothing's ever going to be perfect i think no. like you know as long as you're kind of taking strides towards um building i mm-hmm. think that that's always a good thing absolutely um and so my uh, to pivot a little bit but my question is um 
about, you know, blog loving that mm-hmm. recently had a huge transition yeah. into completely rebranding. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. That's just so exciting. It's been an amazing evolution. I think um, we, you know, as blog loving, we had talked about rebranding for so many years while I was, well, when I first joined, really. So we had been like, had this conversation around rebranding. I think there was a fear of um, the fact that, you know, there was a lot of name recognition for, for blog loving in the industry. But then also, there's confusion because we no longer just support bloggers. We work with Instagrammers, YouTubers, a lot of different types of creators. And so we knew it was creating confusion in the marketplace for us. Um, And so we, you know, as part of um, coming into this role, I really wanted to just rip off the Band-Aid. I was like, you know what? Like, let's just go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Blogloven will still be Blogloven. It's still our own media property. Um, But Activate is really what represents our company today um, Mm -hmm. as a business, as well as really like what we support and who do we interface with. So Mm -hmm. um, the rebranding was such a huge team effort. I mean, when I think about all that went into it, I mean, certainly like social channels, changing that and like completely reskinning the the platform and the site. Um, Certainly all of our marketing collaterals, the clients, our email our email addresses, our signatures, our like a lot of little, little things that go into rebranding. And it was really like everyone pulled in um, to do that, which was incredible and such a great experience. And then from there, we continue to think about how do we present ourselves in the marketplace? Um, we, you know, because we do work with so many different types of creators and really in many cases have a good personal relationship with many of these creators as well. Um, we wanted to make sure that we were bringing that, even though we are a technology platform. We wanted to bring that feeling through. Um, so really good example. Um, yesterday we launched Activate Collaborations. Um, and it used to be, you know, collaborations used to be called campaigns on the platform. Um, and a uh, really small thing, but, you know, how do we think about, you know, is it really a campaign or is it, you know, and what are the different types of collaborations that can take place and being much more expansive around that, whether it's sampling or seeding, whether it is, you know, obviously content co-creation um, to other forms of partnerships that can, you know, come forth between a brand, um, a marketer and, and an influencer. Um, you know, another example would be um, we took our kind of messaging um, piece of the platform and um, it is now conversations, right? And being able to make it much more flexible, we can attach private attachments into that uh, conversation flow. Um, We can have, you know, one-on-one as well as group you know, conversations between the the marketer and the influencer. Um, and it feels a lot more, we want to make it feel a lot more personal mm-hmm. versus it feeling transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole element of, you know, the more we've talked to different brands, there's this concept of, hey, I'm already, you know, we see brands that are so much savvier on the topic of influencer marketing today than two years ago or a year ago. A lot of brands that we're talking to today, hey, my brand managers are working already working with thousands of influencers, you know, between all of our different brands. But how do we put our arms around all of this, right? Like how do we how do we understand like, okay, what are all the what are maybe there's certain influencers that are being regularly tapped by different brands? But it's being handled in one-off manner. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we really build a more cohesive relationship there? Make us more sophisticated. Make this stronger for everybody yeah. involved. Yeah. yeah. And, like, if you know you're tapping someone for this, maybe it makes sense to also tap that same person mm-hmm. for an event, for, you know, for to be a spokesmodel, whatever it may be, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you think about, you know, and we've been talking a lot about 
about this concept of an influencer funnel to some extent, mm-hmm. right? Like who's on the rise, on the radar for you as a brand? You mm-hmm. know, it could be folks that are already organically mentioning your product. It could be folks that are, you know, influencers that be reaching out to you or folks that you're actively recruiting mm-hmm. to work with. And then how do you move down towards, you know, whether it's content co-creation, sampling and seeding, all the way down through more kind of deeper relationships, whether it's a JV around a, you know, co-branded product line. Mm -hmm. But how do you manage all of that Mm -hmm. so that you can really think holistically about which creators are moving the needle for you and which ones aren't and which Mm -hmm. ones to graduate down that funnel? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's – and understanding which creators are great for you in terms of content creation Mm -hmm. um, and spreading that word and really, like, positioning your brand in a certain way versus someone that is real great, you know, amplifier and traffic driver for you. Mm So those are the things that we're talking a lot about internally. Um, We love talking, you know, after this, when we get lunch, I'm going to talk to you more about it. (laughs) But there's so much there that right now the space feels, at least from our perspective, um, I think from a, a, you know, talent management perspective, probably not the case, but from a technology perspective, it feels very transactional Mm -hmm. and we want to move beyond that. Yeah. So we want to move beyond that. And it's so interesting. So, you know, part of what you were just saying, it rings so true because, you know, when we have check-ins with our clients on a like quarterly basis, you know, we'll say, you know, what are some of your big goals for the next, you know, for the next three months, six months, a year? And I can tell you pretty consistently, everyone's like, I don't want to do these one-off posts anymore. I really want to invest in a brand. And it's like, how do I do that? And then I know from my perspective, as the one managing all of those relationships, I could be speaking to one brand Mm -hmm. through five different people and through five different channels and no one's communicating with each other. But it's not like anyone's malintentioned. It's just like they don't have necessarily the tools of the best practices to be able to do that. So it's so exciting (laughs) to hear what you guys are developing because the biggest thing is like, especially as a technology platform, if you guys can solve problems and make everyone's life easier, that's so key. I mean, a really specific example is I'm sure in your roster, right, the the creators that you're working with, it could be like to your point, the same person, this same creator that's working with multiple brands that are affiliated with the same kind of overall corporate brand, right? Mm-hmm. And in which case you're dealing with a bunch of different people. You're probably contracting five different times. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have like different contracts. You may have mm-hmm. different payment terms. You may you have to renegotiate each one. Mm-hmm. And then from the brand perspective, it's super frustrating if you know, for example. Um, so we talked to a, a corporate uh, beauty brand where, you know, a certain influencer may uh, be working with a certain brand um, in a certain capacity, certain pricing, certain things that have already been established. And then another brand comes in and it's mm-hmm. like totally different, right? right. And it, it could, from a brand perspective, cannibalize the, you know, the, the, their ability to be able to really build something, um, more efficient around, um, you know, working with that same creator. Like what if that same creator could be working with five different brands and doing a lot more there, Mm -hmm. but efficient from a brand perspective, efficient from the influencer perspective, Mm -hmm. and it's a win-win for both sides. So, um, that was like not the best description of what we're, you know, what we're, what we're thinking about, but that those are some of the things that are happening in this space that I think, you know, as more money, as more money comes into the space, and mm-hmm. more um, creators and more brands mm-hmm. come into the space, mm-hmm. the more kind of transparency there and efficiency there is going to be needed. Otherwise, this you know this industry can't grow the way it needs to. A hundred percent. And I can tell you, as someone who also 
um, desperately needs and admires um, having that efficiency and having those processes in place to have everything run smoothly. I have taken every demo call and every, <laughs> like, I mean, hours and hours have been invested as a management company yeah. to find solutions in that capacity. Um, and there are some that are standing out. Yeah. Um, there are some that are like, I would say, to be completely frank, most of them are almost there. Not mm. most of them, some of them. Some mm. of them are almost there. Mm. And if I can combine one with another and have a beautiful baby of, like, <laughs> you know, this incredible product, I would be the happiest person alive. Um, but as a company at Bold Streak, we actually created our own mm. um, because we couldn't find the exact solution. Yeah. Um, but our use case is very specific. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like for the most part, companies like Activate, you know, you're – your get, your biggest get are the big brands, you know, and directly working with brands and influencers. But, you know, I've had conversations with some people on your team about, you know, how can we make this better for people like you, you know, for managers? And yeah. I love that you guys are asking those questions. Yeah. I think that it's it's very admirable that you guys are even coming to me and saying, like, what can we do to make your life easier and yeah. include you in the conversation? I think that's great. Well, I mean, certainly talent management is a huge part of this industry. And for us, if we're going to make something work, it's important that key stakeholders are, you know, involved. Mm -hmm. Essentially, mm -hmm. um, you know, for us, you know, given that we are a small team with a small engineering team, it's extremely important to us to decide what's urgent to build, what needs to be in our near term roadmap. You know, I'm really making those decisions again, 75 percent of the time. Hopefully we're making mm -hmm. the right decisions, but <laughs> it's time, right? It's mm -hmm. time and resources. Um, the talent piece, the talent management piece is so important to us. And how do we how do we make sure we're creating something that will actually be used and, you know, and loved, hopefully, mm -hmm. um, and and be really helpful for both um, the talent managers the influencer, as well as for the brands. Mm -hmm. um, right now, to your point, um, our biggest, kind of the biggest users of our platform are really um, either brand directly. Um, there's a ton of agencies mm -hmm. that are leveraging the platform, mm -hmm. as well as actually a number of media companies mm -hmm. um, that are kind of acting as mini agencies, essentially, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. um, so th that's kind of what we've built a lot around, and you know, workflow and you know, collaborations and conversations. All of those things have been you know built around that piece. But you know, as we think about okay, how to understand a creator as being more than just a um, more than just a publisher, essentially, like mm -hmm. really like three-dimensionalizing who that creator is. Mm -hmm. So understanding certainly the content and the data and all of that, which we have, but then also what's this another lens on that? Like, mm -hmm. is this person, you know, um, involved in various other projects coming yeah. up that makes sense where it really makes sense to tap them for a certain brand collaboration as well? Yeah. Or whether it's like a they, live event mm -hmm. or whether it's, you know, um, video if they've only done, you know, photos yeah. or Instagram store. I mean, there's so many different platforms, even off platform. I see brands now wanting to, you know, create product with influencers yeah. and things like that. And it could absolutely be such a win-win for everybody all around. So yeah. I think that it's fantastic that you guys are facilitating those relationships. We're trying to. Yeah. 75% <laughs> of it. Yeah. Like, those are good odds though. Those are like really, really good percentages. So my final question for you, and you been so fantastic. Um, my final question for you, I like to ask everybody on the podcast. Um, so 
what would you know, knowing everything that you've gone through, um, all the experiences that you've done uh, or gone through, what would you want to tell your younger self? What would I want to tell my younger self? Um, I think, um, you know, in certain decisions, maybe not deliberate so much and like go with your gut a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think um, naturally a, you know, the type of person that likes to look at things from like eight different angles and then like try to optimize for the best decision, right? But mm-hmm. there's certain things in life where you will not know if things are going to work out the way you want it to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of like if you feel like this is the right decision, you need to just take the jump and take the leap. So mm-hmm. um, that's probably number one for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, You know, and not – and that whole like – thinking about things as a 65 year old self, I think is that's how I've been trying to frame certain things, right? Like when you're thinking about, you know, is this really great or this, is this just good or is this really awful or is this just bad? Right. So like being able to discern that, um, and regulate your, you know, your emotions around that essentially, um, orient yourself around continuing to learn versus like, is this the right next step? Like thinking about it, like, you know, because I think traditionally people are like, well, I want to get promoted and then like this is my next step. And if I'm not like moving along these rungs, then I'm like not on the right path. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think the industry and people's careers are so much more winding than um, most people think, mm-hmm. you know, and, like when you look at someone from the outside, you're like, oh, they're, it'll, it all makes sense. Like it's, you know, it seems like they took one step after the other, but really there's probably like a lot of zigzags along the way. And so keeping that in mind and making sure that you're thinking about learning, thinking about um, doing essentially versus being too preoccupied with um like, okay, well, is this the right next thing? Is this the right next thing? Because um, you may not even, by going the other way, by learning and by being really open, you may find next steps that, you know, weren't in your initial plan, yeah. your initial thinking. I love that. I feel like people over the years, like especially when I was in school, would always tell me that I needed to focus a lot more, that hmm. I was too interested in like too many different things and that I just needed to focus more. (laughs) And, you know, I took what they said to heart. They were mentors of mine and they're much older and I just Mm -hmm. assumed that they're right. But, you know, now as like a 31-year-old woman, I'm just like, I actually see all of those different paths and different experiences as really incredibly valuable perspectives Mm -hmm. that now I add into my day-to-day. You know, I used to work with actors and I used to direct them in shows. And so I I really know what it's like to work in traditional media and Mm -hmm. I really know what it's like to be on a set Mm -hmm. and I know what it's like to, you know, what that experience is. So when one of my clients is booked on a commercial, I can like speak to that. Yeah. And I know what it's like, you know, the the, the travel that's involved, all the all the back end work mm-hmm. to create what they have to cre- what they do create. There's so much involved. And so, you know, that's just one example, I guess, of of how an experience that you would assume, oh, she's sort of like direct actors. How yeah. that is that relevant yeah. to what you're doing today? Um, I feel like it's incredibly helpful yep. because I have seen a completely other side, not 
behind a computer screen, Mm -hmm. you know, really like holding hands with these people and and learning what their experiences so I could empathize a little bit more. Yeah. And you can only connect those dots if you, in that moment, right, in in that experience, you really kind of went all in and tried to learn as much as possible. And Mm -hmm. then internalize that. Mm-hmm. So then when you're doing something else and you want to reflect back or bring that experience in, you can actually do that. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 biggest um biggest challenge is, you know, oftentimes if you are um switching from thing to thing, if you're not in it, mm-hmm. that's where it's not valuable to you. Sure. Think about like what's valuable to you and like to me it sounds like when you know, even though you've done a few different things, right? those things you kind of were all in and you brought those, you know, you internalize that Mm -hmm. learning Mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, The worst thing is if you do a bunch of stuff and you like didn't care about any of it. You like half-ass it. Yeah. In which case like that's (laughs) not helpful. Yeah. Then you may as well just stay in one place and do the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean the going kind of all in, I think that's, that's something that, um, and, 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 and it's a hard thing to do, but um, if you do internalize it and learn, then yes, you can take those learnings and connect the dots with something else. Oh my god! I always say, like kids in college, like take as many internships as you can. Yeah. Take people out to lunch from yeah. those internships. Like yeah. some of your earlier positions, like ask people to lunch, pick their brain. First of all, people love that because they they're so flattered, right? Right. <laughs> but you know, you can learn from everybody's experience. Yeah. And just really dive into it and yeah. just get as much, like soak it up. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah, especially when you're starting out, like don't get preoccupied with like, well, like, you know, am I just am, am I like doing too much or whatever? It's like just like jump in and do as much as you can because you're going to learn from that and you're going to take that. That stays with you. That's something that stays with you. Being you know? a little selfish. Yeah. 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 Selfish has such a, a negative connotation sometimes, but I actually think it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> um, thank you so, so much thank for you. being here today. You've been fantastic. Um, and where can people follow you? Um, you can uh, – I mean I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Um, What's your handle there? Instagram is at MewMew810. Then Twitter is at Mm -hmm. L-K-A-M-I-U. And then there's certainly um, the Activate social handles, which I can share with you um, via email after. But our website is try.activate.social. Try.activate.social. I love that. Thank you so much. It's been so great having you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments. So comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in. Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org slash heart.